Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. Hope you had a very nice Thanksgiving. In segment three, Josh George is going to, we're going to look back on our interview with him. He's a Paralympian. He joined us on the show in October of this year. He has an incredible story. When he was four years old, he fell out of a 14th story window. Should have died, didn't, and now has become one of the world's greatest Paralympians. He was in Beijing this summer for the Paralympian Games. If you want an inspiring story, listen to Josh George on our show this week in segment three. In segment four, Dick Hoyt, my conversation with him from February of 2007. If you haven't heard of Dick Hoyt, he's part of the Team Hoyt, Dick and Rick Hoyt. They're a father-son team from Massachusetts. Uh, They compete in marathon races. They also do triathlons. So if you talk about 26.2 miles of running, 112 miles of bicycling, 2.4 miles of swimming— Together, they've climbed mountains, and it's really remarkable. They've been doing this for the last 25 years. Dick pushes his son in the wheelchair. He swims with him when they're doing the triathlons. It's literally superhuman stuff. So if you want to be inspired this week, we have two incredible guests for you to listen to. If you want to be thankful this week, two incredible guests for you to listen to. Josh George in Segment 3 and Dick Hoyt in Segment 4. A couple of other notes, visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Bobby, interesting headlines this week. Uh, Tiger and one of his sponsors, Part Ways, will tell you who that sponsor is, but it's another sign the economy is really slumping and could be bad news for the sports world in 2009. You know, absolutely. We talked about it last week, and you know what? Just another company and another athlete have to part ways. You know, because of the way the economy is going. Well, and if you look at these companies, if they're going to make cutbacks instead of laying people off, they're going to look at how they're spending their entertainment dollar, how they're spending their marketing dollar. We're already seeing companies announce that they're not going to do Super Bowl spots this year, which are going to cost $3 million. These are all the ways that companies that are losing money or are having tough economic times are going to make their cutbacks. All right, coming up next, Sports Business Radio headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training. Sports business curriculum taught by industry experts and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, Tiger Woods and GM part ways this week one year before the deal was set to expire. Tiger had been one of the faces of GM and had been with the company since 2000, mainly with Buick. Buick was the sole logo on Tiger's golf bag, and there should be stiff competition from other companies to be the logo on his bag. Bobby, this is yet another sign that the golf world could be in for a rough ride in 2009 during the slumping economy as sponsors are asked to pay six or seven figures for sponsorship. So not only are sponsors who endorse athletes like Tiger Woods going to be jumping off the train, no matter how big of an athlete you are like Tiger Woods, but also the companies that are the naming rights sponsors for these events and even the uh, sub-sponsors for these events, it's going to be a rough ride for golf, and I think tennis are going to feel it out of everyone the most, and probably NASCAR, as we talked last week. No, I completely agree with you. I'm kind of looking forward to the point where it becomes the PGA Tour presents you know, the XYZ tournament because the way that the economy is going, it's not going to be too long where the PGA is going to have to step up, and they're going to be the ones that their name will be the marquee event. Well, and you know, this sponsorship was always a curious one. We've had Mark Steinberg on the show, and, you know, he told us why Buick and Tiger were a good fit and that they were aggressive. And, you know, Tiger did great things for Buick and kind of made Buick cool again. But I would bet you that there are going to be those, uh, you know, luxury car companies, the Mercedes, BMW, Lexuses, Land Rover of the world that will be approaching Mark Steinberg and saying, hey, look, now that Tiger doesn't have a car deal, uh, how about getting us into the fold? And, and maybe those companies who have a little bit better uh, economic situations will uh, get into the fold. So it'll be interesting to see. And then again, that bag gets so much visibility. So who's going to be the logo on that bag? Some people have said Nike, but I don't think that makes sense because they're already on his hat. They're already on his clothes. They're already so visible. Why would Nike pay so much more money just to be on the bag? Headline number two. Big Ten Network VP and University Planning and Development Executive Kevin Weiberg has been hired by the NBA and the NCAA as CEO of their $50 million joint youth basketball venture. This according to the Sports Business Journal this week. Weiberg is a former Big 12 commissioner. He's going to begin his new role on January 5th. One of his first orders of business will be to spearhead creation of a website to provide information and social networking for young players, teams, leagues, and event organizers. Uh, the NBA and the NCAA are each going to commit $15 million in cash to run the operation with another $20 million in shared marketing. We've talked about this a lot. We talked to David Stern about it last year. But it's an interesting partnership because the NBA and the NCAA have often been at odds. They haven't really been on the same page, but Dr. Miles Brand, the head of the NCAA, and David Stern got together last year and said, let's create this joint entity. It will be interesting to see how it runs. I completely agree with you. You know, we talk about the, the, you know, the thing with agents and different players. You know, they get approached early about going to the NBA out of college. I wonder how much this is going to kind of maybe possibly curtail that. I don't think it will completely, but I, I think that's one of the interesting dynamics we really have to look for. How is it going to kind of handle the whole situation with a kid in college making the jump to the NBA? Well, and, you know, minimum age requirements. How are the summer camps going to be run? Those have changed a lot in the last few years. Those are held in Indianapolis and in other places right under the NCAA's nose. It'll be interesting to see how this 
works going forward? Is it just a joint venture uh, on the surface, or are they actually going to get some things done and make some progress and, and make a happier coexistence between the NBA and the NCAA? We will see. Our next headline, former NFL quarterback Michael Vick pleaded guilty Tuesday to a state dogfighting charge, a move that could make him eligible to leave prison early and potentially speed up a return to pro football. Vick, who's 28, arrived wearing wrist and ankle shackles with his gray suit, but the restraints were removed by the time he entered his plea. The one-time Falcon star also pleaded not guilty to account of cruelty to animals, but that charge was dropped under his plea deal. He received a three-year suspended sentence, far less than the maximum of 10 years he could have faced. Vic is also, he's already serving a 23-month sentence in Leavenworth, Kansas, on federal charges for bankrolling a dogfighting operation at a home he owned in eastern Virginia's rural Surrey County, southeast of Richmond. He admitted to participating in the killing of several underperforming dogs. Vic is scheduled for release on July 20th of 2009 he'll serve three years of probation his latest plea is important because it resolves the remaining charges against him which is required under federal law if he is to move into a halfway house our next headline former nfl players association presidents troy vincent trace armstrong mike ken and george martin and attorneys david cornwell and fred nance are among the list of about 14 candidates being considered to replace the late Gene Upshaw as the NFL Players Association Executive Director. This, according to the AP this week, the NFL Players Association last week narrowed the list of candidates to about 14 from 25. The new executive director is expected to be chosen at the NFL Players Association annual meetings in March in Hawaii. This is very important because there could be a work stoppage. There's labor unrest between the owners and the players, and it is so important for the Players Association to get someone in place who can help get something done. I mean, no one wants to see a work stoppage in the NFL, especially when there's so much money at stake. Absolutely. You know, a work stoppage would almost be something that would you know, not necessarily kill the NFL, but it would definitely hamper any momentum they've gained over the last four years. Television agreements are coming up again. It, it could get a little dicey if they don't name somebody quickly. Our next headline, the New York Knicks have positioned themselves nicely to make a run at several marquee free agents in the summer of 2010 after two major trades this week. They finalized a trade that will send Zach Randolph and Marty Collins to the Los Angeles Clippers in exchange for Gatino Mobley and Tim Thomas. And then they also traded Jamal Crawford. So by getting rid of basically Randolph's contract and Jamal Crawford's contract, the Knicks have cleared $27.4 million in salary cap space, enough for them to make a run at LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Amari Stoudemire. They could probably get two, if not three, marquee players to add to their roster. The thing that's interesting, Bobby, is they got a lot of criticism this week. Have they basically mailed it in until 2010? They put themselves in a good position in 2010, but are they going to stink in the meantime? And if so, you know, how do you run the business between now and then? You know, it's funny. Earlier this week, I know LeBron James was in New York playing against the Knicks. He sat down for a press conference before the game, and everything looked from the photos looked like he had been traded to the Knicks. He was sitting there with a Knicks background, the Knicks mic flag. If they're going to make a play for him in 2010, they can't mail it in because if they do, I got a feeling D'Antoni won't be around. I got a feeling certain members of the front office won't be around. You are gambling. Such a huge chunk of money and time right now by waiting to 2010. I say don't mail it in. Go ahead, play out your season, play hard. 
You never know. You might make the playoffs, but still, you can't make that gamble right now. Now, the key thing to remember, and I wrote this on my blog this week, is if you are going to re-sign your own free agent, you can sign that player to a six-year deal. If you're signing someone else's free agent, like if the Knicks want to sign LeBron James, they can only offer him five years. The Cavs can offer him six years. We're talking about a difference of probably 17 or $18 million at least. So the team that has LeBron James, the Cleveland Cavaliers, has a tremendous financial advantage. But I can tell you this. I know people in LeBron's circle, and several of them want him playing in New York or New Jersey, a bigger media market. And uh, I think they're going to be pushing for that to happen. And if the Knicks offer LeBron a max deal in 2010, and if they can surround him with a Chris Bosh or a Dwayne Wade or an Amari Stoudemire and maybe a good point guard like a Steve Nash who will also be a free agent, uh, it might be tough for him to pass that up. And playing for Mike D'Antoni in an up-tempo offense would be also enticing. Last headline of the week, our old friend Roger Clemens' former trainer, uh, Brian McNamee gave samples of his DNA to federal investigators trying to ascertain whether the star pitcher committed perjury before Congress. Two New York newspapers reported this week. The request for a DNA sample from trainer Brian McNamee suggests that investigators found readable DNA on the syringes, needles, and gauze pads McNamee turned over to federal prosecutors in January. Bobby, again, Roger Clemens, this is such an interesting thing. He's got a defamation suit against Brian McNamee. McNamee's handing over syringes that could have uh, DNA on them that are Roger Clemens. That could show perjury. This thing, even though it's kind of been uh, lying in the in the weeds and we haven't heard a lot about it, it's far from over. Absolutely, and you know what? It's hard to beat DNA. They often say DNA doesn't lie. So, Except in O.J. Simpson's trial. Yeah, but we won't go there. <laughs> no, we won't go there. All right, coming up next, two inspiring stories. It's Thanksgiving week and we should be thankful for a lot of things. And I'll tell you what, if you want to be thankful and if you want to be inspired by two men, listen to our next two segments. Josh George, a Paralympian, and then Dick Hoyt, who I think is one of the most superhuman fathers I've ever talked to in my life. That's coming up next. Josh George and Dick Hoyt in segments three and four. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Happy Holidays. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. My guest is Josh George. Josh is 24 years old. He's a Paralympian who won gold in the 100 and silver in the 800 a few weeks ago in Beijing. He's also America's top marathoner. Josh, amazing story you have, and thanks for taking some time to share it with us on Sports Business Radio. 
Not a problem, Brian. Thank you for having me on. When you were four years old, you fell out of your bedroom window in your family's 12th floor apartment in Virginia. The impact of the drop dislocated your hips, broke your ribs, punctured a lung, shattered both of your thigh bones, and left you paralyzed from the chest down. Just to survive that fall, Josh, takes a pretty tough customer. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I I, I definitely lucked out that I I landed upright on my feet. I mean, if I think if I landed any other way, uh, we we probably would have had a different outcome there. So, I mean, I've read some stories about you, and, you know, you've known since you were little that you wanted to be an athlete. That's something you wanted to do. And, and, you know, everything I've read about you, you're kind of uh, the Bo Jackson of Paralympians. I mean, you're a real all-around athlete. You compete in track and field, marathon racing. You're on the basketball team. Um, how much do you train for these sports, and how did you get motivated to participate in the sports that you're participating in? Well, I'm I'm constantly training, and it, it's it's sort of been like that from the from the start, from the very beginning. I was I was competing in multiple sports throughout the year, and so it's just something that from when I was a kid, it just it was natural to me to be to be training for more than one thing at the same time. And um, sort of as I, as I grew older, it just, uh, it was just a, a time management thing. I figured out how to do it. And especially in, in when I was uh, competing in college for the university of Illinois, you know, I was just balancing the day between basketball practice in the morning class in the afternoon, and then uh, track practice or uh, racing practice uh, in the early evening. Which sport do you enjoy the most? <laughs> That's, that's a trick question right there. <laughs> it depends on the season. You ask, me, you ask me whatever sport I'm doing at the time, that's my favorite. So I want to talk for a moment about the Paralympics in Beijing. Many of us watch the regular Olympics on TV, on NBC. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I wasn't able to watch the Paralympics on TV. Um, give me a sense. You know, I talked to people who were there. They said all the events were sold out. The Bird's Nest, 90,000 people. It was general admission, so you could you know, find your own seat and sit in the front row if you wanted. What was it like to be competing in Beijing? Oh, it was absolutely insane. I had never had that many people come to watch me do anything before. I never imagined that I would ever have that many people come to watch watch uh, an event like that. And it was, I mean, it was incredible. You're out there before you race, and the 90,000 people are doing the wave around the stadium and screaming their heads off, and it just it gets you amped up and ready to go. What did you think of the bird's nest? I mean, you'd probably seen it on TV before you went there, but uh, it was probably nothing like it being there in person. Oh, man, the bird's nest is surreal. When you're working out on the warm-up track and looking up at the thing, you you got to pinch yourself to, to make sure that you're not dreaming that this amazing structure is there. Um, and then when you go inside and you just you look up and it's just a sea of people. I mean, it's from all angles. The bird's nest was incredible. So explain to our audience when you're competing in these marathons, what's your setup? I mean, you're in in the chair. Is it a specially designed chair? Uh, explain how that works for you. Right. I'm in when I'm racing. I'm in a, a custom built uh, racing wheelchair and say a long um, three wheeled chair. Um, sort of looks like a, a, a drag racer where, you know, the front wheel is um, a small 20-inch wheel and the, the two back wheels that you're sitting between are, are larger wheels. Um, and so I'm sitting in a crouched position uh, in between the two back wheels and, and just chugging along. Josh, you know, again, reading about you, your upper body strength is phenomenal. I mean, you're a guy who weighs less than 100 pounds and you can bench 
220, 230 pounds. Talk about some of the training you do to keep your upper body strength what it is. Well, a lot of a lot of the training is just uh, chair time, just getting in getting in the racing chair and pounding it out. And you know, in the off season, we have some pretty intense uh, lifting workouts that you know we're in the gym three or four days a week doing the lifting workouts on top of on top of our stuff in our racing chairs. So I mean, it's just it's just constant work. And you know, for me, I'm I'm in a chair. I I basically am walking on my hands. So um, that's you're constantly using your arms. You're bound to get strong. How many hours a day do you, would you say you train on average? Oh, I train anywhere from, you know, two to two to five hours a day, depending on what, what point in the season we're in. And what do you like to do when you're not training? I would imagine, you know, I don't know if you know who Dick and Rick Hoyt are. I've had Dick Hoyt on the show before, and, you know, they go around and they do a number of motivational uh, speaking engagements. Do you do any motivational speaking engagements? Because I would imagine you have an incredible story to tell. I, yeah, I, I do some speaking engagements. Um, not not really on the motivational side, but I do some do some speaking for um, for some sponsors, and um, and then I I, uh, I like to to work with um, children's uh, sports programs as well. I do you know whenever I can get in and, and work with some kids in in uh, wheelchairs. That's that's what I'm doing. That's great. Hey, let's talk about the corporate side of this for a moment. I mean, Paralympics they don't get the corporate support that maybe the regular Olympics does or some other entities. And I know, you know, people like you are really trying to put some of these events and some of these sports on the map. Maybe talk about the challenges of attracting corporate sponsors for a moment. Well, it's, it's definitely hard to get corporate sponsors just because um, wheelchair racing as a sport is something in this country that is, you know, it's, it's relatively underground. You don't, not many people really know that it exists and at, at the level that it exists at. Um, so the, the biggest challenge is um, showing people that we are elite athletes, that we, we are top-notch international elite athletes, um, and we're, we're participating in an elite sport. And then that's basically, once, once you show them that, once you get them on board with that, it, it becomes a little bit easier. So how do you show them? I mean, is it as simple as just inviting someone to a race, or is it do you send them a promotional kit? How do you try and get them on board with what you're doing? Well, the the biggest thing is probably through my website, um, joshsgeorge.com, um, because, you know, there we have, I have film clips of, um, of marathon finishes and other races, and you really, it really need, you really need to see it to believe it. Um, and once you watch a race and once you watch what we're doing at the end of a 26-mile race when we're, we're – um, sprinting to the finish with six or seven guys around us, that's, once you see that, that's, that's when you understand what type of sport it really is. Can you talk about some of your sponsors that you've lined up already? Do you have corporate support right now? Uh, that's, I'm working on that right now. I have um, an equipment sponsor, um, Eagle Sports Chairs, based out of, uh, just out of Snellville, Georgia. Um, and then I, I do some work for some uh, Paralympic sponsors. Um, namely the, the Hartford. Um, and currently I'm working with uh, my manager to get some more uh, corporate sponsors on top of those. Before I let you go, I see you have a journalism degree from the University of Illinois. Uh, any aspirations to be a media person or to put that degree to work? <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm working on that right now. I got a few ideas floating around my head for maybe some, some, uh, some book ideas. Um, 
but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens along those lines. I do enjoy writing and would like to exercise uh, some of those options. Last question for you. You know, there's people listening to our show struggling with their own lives right now, and you're a real inspiration. You have such an incredible story. What words of advice do you have for those people who are trying to summon up more strength to continue to persevere? Well, what I, what I like to tell people is to really focus on what you can do. Um, because most of the time what you can do so grossly outweighs what you can't do that all you need to do is really just sit down and, and, and think about it. Um, when people are having problems, they're just they're putting too much emphasis on what's going wrong and what they can't do rather than what's going right and what they can do. So give a plug for your website one more time. Check it out, uh, joshsgeorge.com, and you'll find information about uh, my, my life and wheelchair racing and then clips of, of races that I've been in. Josh, thank you so much for taking time on Sports Business Radio to talk to us this week. Brian, thank you for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Business Radio. You know, many times we erroneously put our athletes on pedestals, and they really have no business being there. I'm about to introduce you to a man who has teamed with his disabled son, Rick, to teach us all about what a real hero is. 66-year-old Dick Hoyt and his 45-year-old son, Rick, have competed in countless marathons and triathlons. Dick pushes his 110-pound son, Rick, when they're running. He pedals him when they're biking, and he tows him on a raft when they are swimming. Honestly, I don't think I've ever heard of a more incredible feat than the feats Dick Hoyt and his son, Rick, perform regularly in over 200 triathlons, five Ironmans. They've competed in 25 Boston marathons together. He's even hauled his son, Rick, across the U.S. on a bike. It is my extreme pleasure to be joined today by Dick Hoyt. Dick, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. Dick, let's start at the beginning of your incredible story for those who may not be familiar with it. Your son, Rick, was born with cerebral palsy. He was unable to control his limbs after complications during birth. Doctors told you and your wife, Judy, soon after he was born that you should probably institutionalize him. You didn't listen to those doctors. What gave you the strength, you and your wife, to be there for Rick and and give him the care he needed? Well, you know, the doctors really couldn't tell us very much about how Rick was going to progress or, or anything. And so what we decided is that we just bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. And, and this is what we have done. Rick has been mainstreamed and included all of his life. You know, today Rick, Rick is 45 years old. 
and he's uh, graduated from public high school. He graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment. And Rick and I have competed in four, over 948 athletic events in the past 26 years. And uh, and we just knew that Rick was smart. We could tell when we were talking to Rick that he'd look right into our eyes, so we knew he understood you know, everything we were saying. And we tried to get him into public school, and they, they turned us down. They said, no, he doesn't understand. He won't be able to learn. So we met some engineers from uh, Tufts University, and uh, we, we told them, and you know, we talked to them a little bit, and they said the same thing. The school department said that he wouldn't be able to learn. So we, we told the uh, engineers to tell Rick a joke. So they told Rick a joke, and Rick cracked up laughing, and he said, wow, maybe there is something there. So they said, if you can uh, get us $5,000, we'll build a communicating device for Rick. And that was 32 years ago now, and uh, $5,000 was a lot of money. Right, a lot of, money. Fa- <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. But the Hoyt family raised the uh, $5,000. We gave it to the engineers from Tufts, and they built what was called the TIC, the Tufts, Tufts Interactive Communicator. And the, the engineers were coming to our house, and everybody was betting what are the first words Rick is ever going to say. <laughs> well, his, his mom saying it's going to be, hi, Mom, and meet a dad. No, it's going to be, hi, Dad. Well, the Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup, and the very first words he ever said was, go Bruins. So we knew right then and there that he knew everything that was going on, and he loved sports. So we took Rick with his tick to the school department, and the principal of the school took him in a room with some school teachers. See, before they were saying his mother and father were answering for him. So they asked him some questions, and he answered them correctly, so they didn't accept him in a public school. And then when Rick was 11, uh, you know, I guess he came to you. Tell me the story of how he came to you, and he said, Dad, I want to race in a five-mile race with you. Yeah. Rick was attending a, a South Middle School out in Westfield, Massachusetts, and his gym teacher really got involved with Rick with all the different gym activities with all the other kids. And he was also the basketball coach at Westfield State College. And he used to take Rick to the basketball games. Well, at one of the basketball games, they made an announcement that one of the cross players from the college was in an automobile accident. He was paralyzed from the waist down. So they're going to have this charity road race to try to help him raise some money so he could pay his medical bills. And when Rick came home from that basketball game, he told me all about it. And he said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I want to let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed. I want to run in the race. Well, at the time, I was 40 years old. I was not a runner. I used to run maybe three times a week a mile each time just to try to keep my weight down. But uh, And that's all we had was a, a prescription form-fitted wheelchair for Rick, and we had a hard time pushing him in it, never mind running in it. But we went down. It was a five-mile race, and we gave Rick and I the number double zero, and the gun went off, and we took off with all the other runners, and everybody thought that Rick and I would just go to the corner and turn around and come back. Well, we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. That's one thing. We've never been last in any of the events that we've been in. And then when we got home from that race that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, feels like my disability disappears, which was a very powerful message to me if you think about it. Somebody who can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and now the disability seems to disappear when they're out there running. He just called himself Freebird, and all of a sudden he was free. But, you know, there's only one problem after that race. I was disabled. I didn't know you had so many muscles in your body. <laughs> yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't walk for about two weeks. 
Well, I've read right. the story. I mean, all these races that you've competed in, this is superhuman stuff, Dick. This is not – I couldn't do this by myself. What you're doing with your son is literally superhuman. Where do you, where do you get the, the energy to do this? Is there well, – it's just amazing I guess, to me. It's, I just draw all the energy from Rick. Rick and I have a very special bond together. He, he inspires me and he motivates me. To me, he's the competitor. And I'm out there just loaning my arms and my legs so that he can compete. You know, he, he's a fighter, and he's, he's never going to give up. And, and it, it, it just, it's just unbelievable what we've been able to do and even the times that we've been able to run. I mean, we never expected to be running a, a marathon. And a triathlon, you crazy, running a bike across the United States? My other two sons say, you, you two guys are nuts. You're crazy. <laughs> you know, but we really, you know, we... We really enjoy it, and uh, we're helping out so many people. And, you know, now we're helping people all over the world. It's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, every time we go to a race or something, people come up to us and they say, hey, you guys, we want to thank you because we saw you guys out there doing it. And they said, wow, if they can do it, we can do it. And now we're in the best shapes of our lives thanks to you. You know, and now people are out running marathons and doing triathlons. Dick, when you started... Who who are your biggest detractors? I mean, people must have looked at you when you said, like you just said a moment ago, hey, we're going to do marathons, then we're going to graduate to triathlons. People must have looked at you like you were nuts. Well, they really did, yes. Um, well, actually, when I first, the first race I ever pushed Rick in, uh, I got some telephone calls and uh, letters from people that had, you know, families that had disabled children with them, and they said, what are you doing dragging your disabled son uh, through all of these races? What, are you just looking for glory? And see what they didn't realize? It was my son dragging me through all these races. Huh. And, uh, that, you know, it's been 30 years, 35 years since you started, and, you know, take us back to that time and then to today. Disabled athletes, I hope, are being treated better, and I think you've probably had a large part in the treatment of disabled athletes in the last 30, 35 years. Well, I hope so, because, you know, when Rick and I first started, we went over to do our first race, and they didn't, nobody wanted us in the race. Nobody come near us. Nobody talked to us, you know. But finally, the overall race director said that we could run, and we ran. And, you know, there was 300 runners in this race. It was a 10K race, and Rick and I finished 150th out of that. And then after that, Rick and I would go to a different town in a different city and run. And finally, people started coming up to us and talking to us, and they could see that, that Rick had a personality and a sense of humor, and he loved to be in the middle of running with everybody else. And then we tried to get into the Boston Marathon, and they turned us down too. They said, no, you can't run because you're different than anybody else. So we applied you know, through the wheelchair division that runs in the Boston Marathon, and they also turned us down. They said, no, you can't run because you're different than anybody else. But what they did say is, if you want, you can line up behind us and run, and that's what we did in 1981. We ran up, we lined up behind the regular wheelchair athletes, and we ran our very first Boston Marathon, and we ran it in three hours and 18 minutes, which beat 85 percent of Jeez. all the other runners. That's incredible. And, my, my guest is Dick Hoyt, part of Team Hoyt. You can learn more about Dick and his incredible story with the son Rick at TeamHoyt.com. You know, you were—I didn't mean to cut you off there, uh, Dick, but. I read a quote from you last year. You know, you said first they wouldn't even let us race in the Boston Marathon, and, and now we have a seat at the head table. That's got to be an incredible feeling. It really is, yes. You know, we ran again two more years unofficially. We ran in 1982 and 83. We ran under three hours at 258 and 259. 
and still they wouldn't let us be official anthem. So in 1983, I talked to Will Clooney, who was the executive director of the BAA, and asked him why we couldn't be official entrants. And he said it was because we didn't have any qualifying criteria. And what he meant by that is Boston is the only marathon in the world where you have to run another marathon a certain time depending on your age. Well, at the time, Rick was in his 20s. I was in my 40s. So they were using Rick's age for us to qualify. And that meant we had to run under two hours and 50 minutes. So that fall, we went down to Washington, D.C., to the Marine Marathon, which is called the People's Marathon. And anybody can run in this marathon, and they always get over 13,000 runners. But they don't get the elite athletes because there's no cash awards. It's just regular trophies and plaques. And Rick and I went down there, and we ran a 245-23, which qualified both Rick and I for the Boston Marathon. We submitted uh, official certificates, and we've been official entrants ever since. As a matter of fact, 1996, the 100th running of the Boston Marathon, Rick and I were honored as Centennial Heroes by the BAA and their sponsor, John Hancock. So we have come a long way, and we've been able to break down a lot of barriers along the way. Dick, you and your son, Rick, have competed all over the world. What's your favorite all-time experience uh, racing together? There's so many of it. It's unbelievable. You know, I'd have to say, you know, that very first race that I was able to push my son in. And, and what has happened from then is just unbelievable. If you ask Rick that question, he'd tell you it would be the Boston Marathon. And if it comes down to one race a year, he'd like it to be the Boston Marathon. But I think my favorite one really was uh, the 1989 uh, Ironman Triathlon out in Kona, Hawaii, because uh, President uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was in Boston, and uh, he was watching the Ironman, and he says he usually doesn't watch the whole thing. But him and Nancy watched the whole thing because they wanted to see if we were able to finish it. And he called me up and he says, if you're ever in California, give me a call. I'd like to, you know, to meet you guys. And if I'm in Boston, I'll call you and, uh, and we'll get together. And so Rick and I were out in California and we went to his office and, and met him. And it was really quite an experience. What a thrill. We've only got a few minutes left. Unfortunately, you're traveling the country now. You're giving motivational speeches. Listen, anything you're talking about, I'm listening to. Tell me about that and uh, what you're doing these days besides racing. Well, we, we are doing a lot of speaking engagements now. As a matter of fact, I'm averaging about uh, anywhere from 12 to 15 uh, speaking engagements a month. And we're actually, we're traveling all over. I'm out here in California right now, and I was in uh, Tucson a couple weeks ago in Phoenix, and, and the Dow is down in Atlanta, then is in Orlando, and it, it just keeps going on and on. But it's a lot of travel, it's a lot of flying, and it's not fun flying anymore. But, you know, it's so important to get out there and try to motivate and inspire these big companies that are hiring us to, to, to get their salesmen to motivate and inspire. When we get through doing our presentation, people look at us and say, wow, we thought we had problems. We don't have any problems at all. So, again, you're the eternal optimist. You're someone who's definitely turned lemons into lemonade. Uh, what's your advice, anyone out there who may be depressed or just uh, down about the hand they've been dealt in life? Well, our message is yes, you can. There isn't anything that you can't do. There's no such word as can't in the hoit vocabulary. And you just got to go out there and do the very best you can and never give up and never stop. And And... That's, that's how we live our life. We, we just live it to the fullest, and we just don't take no for an answer. Dick, you epitomize the human spirit. 
you know, I think you're what we all strive to be, you and your son, Rick. You're an inspiration to me and anyone who's heard this story. And, you know, I really wish you the best of luck. I'm pulling for both of you, and uh, thanks for making time for us this week. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoy talking to you. Guest appearing. Like to say ho- Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'd like to say hello to all your fans out there. Thank you very much. Guest appearing during our Sports Sun segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere for the Mortons nearest you. Go online to mortons.com. Dick, again, thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon, hopefully. Well, thank you, and Morton's Steakhouse is the greatest. I just had a steak. Well, you're going to be having another it, one there. It, it was it was awesome. <laughs> you and Rick are going to be having another one there on us, so uh, we'll we'll send that to you right away. You take care. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, we talked earlier in the show about the PGA and Tiger Woods and sponsors dropping off, Tiger and GM parting ways, and just what a tough sell it is uh, for sponsorships for the PGA Tour and probably for tennis. Well, for the third time in three years, the PGA Tour's $35 million season-long FedEx Cup points structure will have a different look in 2009. This time, tour officials are assuring that the outcome is not decided before reaching the tour championship, as was essentially the case the first two years with Tiger Woods and Vijay Singh. PGA Tour Commissioner Tim Fincham announced the changes Tuesday, and the new format calls for a reset of the points heading into the last playoff event, meaning all 30 players who qualify for the tour championship will have a mathematical chance to win the $10 million bonus that goes to the overall winner. There will also be a week off following the BMW Championship and before the Tour Championship. Bobby, you know, this has been such, it's been so anticlimactic. You know, when they originally developed this, they thought there'd be all this interest and hype and hoopla, and it would uh, maintain people's interest late in the season. Well, it hasn't done that, and it's been kind of a formality that Tiger Woods and Vijay Singh were going to be the points leaders and get that $10 million. So the last few tournaments of the year haven't been uh, watched by many people. You know, it, it's funny that they want this playoff to, you know, garner interest and all that stuff. If they really want it, they should do what the NCAA, you know, men's basketball tournament is. All 65 teams have a chance to win going in, and now that they're going to reset the points, it kind of like becomes NASCAR chase for the cup, but I think it's a good idea that they're going to finally reset and give everybody a chance. 
Yeah, and I wonder how long FedEx is going to hang in there as the sponsor and putting up, you know, this kind of money, $10 million. You know, to put this in perspective, I've mentioned this on past shows, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Lee Trevino, those guys didn't make $10 million in their entire career, even if you count their earnings on the Champions Tour. So that's a lot of money. All right, thank yous this week. Thank you to Josh George and uh, Dick Hoyt, uh, two incredible athletes, great stories, and very inspiring men. Uh, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. I hope you had a tremendous Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy your holiday weekend, and we look forward to talking to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.